Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. What a show we have tonight. I'm John Fugelsang. Thanks so much for being with us. This is the show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We are joined, as always, by our extremely awesome producer, Chris Hauselt, in South Carolina, Thea Harper, in Brooklyn, taking your calls for the next three hours. I think we have a lot to talk about tonight. Let's do a show. Uh, Tonight's show is brought to you by Keeping Track of All the Different Trump Investigations. It's a great sponsor because, I mean, you already know the U.S. National Archives and Record Administration, NARA. They told Congress in February they had recovered about 15 boxes of White House classified documents from Donald Trump's home. And then the House Representatives Oversight Committee at the time said they were going to expand the investigation into Trump's action. They asked the archives to turn over additional information. Trump previously said he'd agreed to return certain records to the archives but didn't do it. Is that the reason his home was searched and or raided? We don't know. But don't forget, the Justice Department's also questioning witnesses before a grand jury about Trump's very public, very stupid, very illegal and unconstitutional efforts to reverse his election loss. Also, federal prosecutors are examining his cronies' plans to submit fake electors from key states to steal the election. But then... If you're a fan of Trump investigations, look over here. Congressional panel investigating January 6th. They're not done yet, and they are working to build a case on TV that the former host of Celebrity Apprentice broke the law in trying to overturn his 2020 election loss. Uh, liberal hero Liz Cheney has said the committee could make multiple referrals to the DOJ seeking criminal charges against Trump. And in a court filing in March, they detailed Trump's efforts to persuade Mike Pence to reject slates of electors for Joe Biden or to delay a congressional count of those votes. The vice president doesn't have the power to do those things. Meanwhile, look over in this corner. Down in Georgia, prosecutors are investigating Trump's efforts to overturn his loss in that state, including the infamous recorded phone call where Trump asked Secretary of State Raffensperger to find 11,000 additional votes. Uh, some legal experts have said Trump may have violated at least three criminal election laws in Georgia. Uh, criminal solicitation to commit election fraud, intentional interference with performance of election duties, and conspiracy to commit election fraud. Ooh, boy, listen to those billable hours rack up for Trump's lawyers. And don't forget, friend of this show, Former Elle magazine writer E. Jean Carroll sued Trump for defamation three years ago after the president denied her allegation that he'd raped her in the 1990s in the New York City department store. Trump accused her of lying to drum up sales for a book. Uh, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in Manhattan is soon to rule on whether E. Jean's lawsuit should be dismissed. Oh, also, Democrats said in the June hearing, of January 6th, if you can remember that far back, that Trump raised about $250 million from his supporters to advance his fraudulent claims in court he'd won the election, but then steered much of the money elsewhere, which means he could be charged with wire fraud. Also, 
other investigations he's facing, like Summer Zerbos's lawsuit, which could result in civil but not criminal penalties. The main exception is the criminal inquiry into his business by the Manhattan DA, but that seems to have unraveled. So <laughs> what does that mean? Well, uh, it, it, does it mean that if he runs for president, he can't be prosecuted? No. The Justice Department has this policy they made up, doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution, that a sitting president can't be indicted. There's no protection from indictment for former presidents or presidential candidates. And then there's Letitia James, the attorney general in the state of New York. Trump was supposed to go face questioning under oath by her a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, was the death of his ex-wife, Ivana, who he buried on a golf course and will be saving a lot of money in taxes through that. So today, Trump showed up. And as you've probably heard by now, giving testimony in Manhattan, he declined to answer any questions from the office of the New York AG. He invoked the Fifth Amendment. They'd hoped that this might be a turning point into an investigation for his business practices. Now, he's hated Tish James for a long time. Back in 2018, when she was running, she vowed to run a very aggressive office against Trump. And so Trump's always claimed she has political bias because she's a Democrat running for re-election. And again, this is a case about whether Trump and his company inflated real estate values in New York to land tax breaks and loans. You know, lying about how much money he had, lying about the occupancy of his buildings. Something Cy Vance was looking into with his two kids a few years ago and then decided not to pursue. So a judge refused to throw out Attorney General James's case based on Trump's claim that she had a political bias against him. So today, Trump showed up to finally give his deposition. Think about how incredible that is for an ex-president. I mean, he's showing up the week the FBI searches his home, and that same week, he takes the fifth. Have we ever seen anything like this? He, he was there from 9 a.m. till around 3 p.m. today. And he took the fifth the entire time. That now, again, they're alleging that the Trump organization, this has nothing to do with his time in the White House, that he misstated the value of his golf courses and his skyscrapers to mislead lenders and tax authorities. Trump went crazy on Truth Social, uh, saying he's, it's a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in history. My great company and myself are getting attacked from all sides. Banana Republic. And he called her a racist because she's black and he doesn't know what racism means. Uh, Let's give a listen way back in time to a place called 2016. Here's what candidate Donald Trump thought back then about people who take Fifth Amendment privileges. A6. Here's people taking the Fifth Amendment. Four people plus the guy who illegally did the server. You know, he put it in the illegal server. So there are five people taking the Fifth Amendment. Like you see on the mob, right? You see the mob takes the fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Well put. Articulate man. Also, I want to ask you guys this. How do you feel about the use of the word raid? I mean, you know, it doesn't really capture our third act of Scarface images of what a raid looks like. There was nobody there. Mar-a-Lago is closed for the season. There were no guests. The Trump family wasn't there. It was just staff and Secret Service who politely let the FBI in because they called in advance. Uh, Donald Trump and the GOP want to call it a raid. Uh, I noticed that CNN will not do that. They keep calling it a, a, a search, an FBI warrant, and I can see why. I mean, raid's a more fun word to say. certainly sounds exciting. But by saying raid... Are we feeding into the GOP martyr complex? Are we helping Donald Trump push his narrative of victimhood? Or is it both true? We're helping him push his narrative of victimhood, but it's fun to say he was raided because he's a criminal who stole from vets. Meanwhile, his party is poisoning the well against the rule of law itself. This is the party that's told us law and order for so many years. Hmm? Back the blue, blue lives matter. Now... Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted, defund the FBI. These are the same people that kept saying, lock her up. Think back to the 2016 Republican convention, lock her up, directed at Hillary Clinton. And now they're worried about persecution of political enemies. Donald Trump ran in 2016, promising to throw his opponents in jail. Now they're mad that that guy is being investigated 
And it's not a banana republic. Banana republics don't have to go to judges to get probable cause for a warrant. But the GOP has their narrative. It's giving Trump a bump. It's helping in his fundraising. You'll notice, however, the Republican Party, they're not defending Trump too much. They're going after law enforcement. They want to go after how lawless the raid was, the search was, how it's persecution of a private citizen. Not a lot of these people saying Trump is innocent. And that's the wisest thing they can do. Now, yesterday, I praised Senator Tim Scott because he came out there and said, yes, they should have the investigation. I'd like to apologize and rescind my praise. Today, Tim Scott's been looking at Twitter. He had time to get on board with the party line that this could happen to you. In a development uh, as relates to Mar-a-Lago and the raid the other day, two days ago, I can't imagine that this is just over Presidential Records Act. When you read through it all, it seems to me that perhaps there's politics embedded in every layer of it. It, Very concerning. One of the things that we hope for from FBI, one of the premier law enforcement agencies in the country, is a apolitical approach. And what we've seen over the last several years is a political nature within the FBI and the weaponizing of justice. If they can do that to the former president of the United States, Mm -hmm. what hope is there for the average person? Are you getting scared about violence yet? More than a half dozen House Republicans who talked to Politico said they were really scared about the fury that's being stirred up by this search of Mar-a-Lago. I mean, you keep hearing these increasingly apocalyptic uses of language by MAGA folk. And it's interesting because, you know, there's there's the gap between the violent rhetoric used on extremist pro-Trump forums and then the language used by top Republican office holders. Uh, NBC reported, in the minutes after news of the search broke, users on pro-Trump forums like The Donald, a Reddit-like website that was used to provide logistics before the Capitol riot, urged immediate violence, asking questions like, when does the shooting start? The most popular comment responding to the news upvoted over 1,200 times was simply the words, lock and load. Trump's base has lost his mind. And if Trump decided to incite some of them to potential violence, it could be bigger than January 6th. And this shouldn't be that controversial, right? I mean, and the same Republicans who are saying it's FBI overreach can't wait to go after Joe Biden's son with their own witch hunts. And by the way, I just want to say I support the full investigation of the children of all presidents and just go after all their business dealings. Right? Right, Republicans? Hmm? Go after go after Hunter Biden. See if he broke the law. And then Jared, Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka. By the way, the great Nayara Hawk, who's like a real journalist, she guest hosts here sometime and classes the place up and makes me look bad. She was over there with our friends on the POTUS channel, and she noted, pretty much all of our Democratic allies around the earth don't have a problem applying laws to their former leaders or their current ones. Well, let's look at our equals in democracy and in the liberal order. We look at France. They have arrested and convicted uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, former prime minister, for massive amounts of corruption. Another yeah. another former prime minister also uh, his you know they created a jo- fake job for the wife. They were arrested. South Korea, <laughs> je- right? South Korea has jailed a former ex prime minister for similar like massive corruption scandals. And what Trump has been accused of doing in this case, right, is not this is not a raid or a, a, a tied to the insurrection this is one tied to how he deals with documents tax records law he's going to be deposed uh, on the record uh, as well so this is all part of a process of making sure that the former president is complying with the law mm-hmm. like he's supposed to and all those foreign leaders of all those other countries have one thing in common every one of them at one point in time has been stared at longingly by Melania Trump. Okay, so look, it's been two days since the FBI searched Trump's empty house in Florida. And we're hearing all these calls for transparency. What were you looking for? Why won't Merrick Garland reveal what did they find? As if Merrick Garland's obliged to reveal any of that. The fact is, Donald Trump and his lawyers have the warrant. And Donald Trump and his lawyers have a detailed manifest of every item the FBI took away. That's all you need to bring up if you're debating this debacle 
with your right-wing loved ones or coworkers. Why haven't they been released? Why hasn't Trump himself come out and just posted the manifest saying what they took? Why don't we see a copy of the warrant so we'll know what they were investigating? Right? I mean, this is Donald Trump. He ran so hard against Hillary Clinton calling for her to be jailed for what? Do you remember? Can you remember that far? The media is letting you forget how she handled classified material. And here's the beautiful part. Donald Trump signed a law in 2018 that actually stiffened the penalties for unauthorized removal of classified documents from one year to five years. This was the same law that David Petraeus pled guilty onto to avoid a felony conviction. Donald Trump turned it into a felony in 2018. So this is Trump's to blow, my friends. I mean, he's in the best position to tell what happened. He's really the only guy who can. Merrick Garland can't do it. What happened on Monday? He's got access to the full inventory of items that the investigators were looking for. He's got access to the full inventory of what was taken. But he's not talking. He's raising money. His lawyers aren't talking. They're getting paid the billable hours. Trump is probably the only civilian who can speak to the nature of any classified material that was the basis for the search. And he could also come out and let us know whether he declassified any of it before he left office and thought that made it okay. But see, he's not going to say that. He's not going to give any specifics. He's going to play victim and howl because that's all he has to do. Right-wing media will not be asking him the tough questions. And that's why he never appears anywhere but right-wing media. Because Donald Trump's a coward. And he shows up for Maria Bartiromo to give him a damn pedicure on camera and call it journalism. So Republicans are fundraising off of this. And you know what? Maybe this will help them. Maybe this will get their turnout going all through the fall. But guys, you're either law and order or you're not. And the amount of Republicans in the last 24 hours who've begun saying, oh, the FBI is planting evidence, they're planting evidence on them. They won't say what it is. And Donald Trump can already tell you what they were looking for. He can tell you what they took, but he won't. These folks talking about planting evidence are liars. But I will say it's the first time in their lives they've ever cared about law enforcement framing a person of color. And what do you think is going to happen to the Democrats from all this? I mean, this is going to be a positive for Trump for a couple of weeks. All the Republicans who are thinking about challenging him for the presidential nomination in 2024, even Ron DeSantis, they are held in check. They're forced to defend him all over again, right when they were hoping he was gone. Right when they were hoping that maybe these January 6th hearings knocked him down a few pegs. But this will help Democrats, too. It'll remind everyone how corrupt he is. The information is going to come out. And the more Trump and the Republicans are talking about this and not talking about inflation, that's only going to help the Democrats running for office. And by the way, speaking of inflation, uh, Joe Biden had a pretty good week. Uh, Here he is right now today at the signing of the PACT Act, which is not to be confused with the incredible IRA Act that they're about to sign, not to be confused with the CHIPS Act creating thousands of of new technology jobs in the States. No, this is the one where Joe Biden, against the Republicans, fought for vets who'd been damaged in burn pits. They're racking up a lot of accomplishments. He had a few thoughts on the economic reports on stabilizing, if not declining, inflation. I want to say a word about the news that came out today relative to the economy. Actually, I just want to say a number. Zero. Today, we received news that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July. 0%. Here's what that means. While the price of some things go up, went up last month, the price of other things went down by the same amount. The result, zero inflation last month. But people are still hurting. But zero inflation last month. Economists look at a measure of inflation that ignores food and energy prices and they call it core inflation. That's about the lowest amount in several years, several months. When you couple that with last week's booming jobs report of 528,000 jobs created last month and 3.5% unemployment, it underscores the kind of economy we've been building. We're seeing a stronger labor market where jobs are booming and Americans are working. And we're seeing some signs that inflation may be getting to moderate. 
That's what happens when you build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. The wealthy do very well and everyone has a chance. It gives everyone a chance to make progress. That's the guy Republicans keep calling senile. So just think about this rolling into fall. Donald Trump's got indictments. He's got testimony. He's taken the fifth. He's being searched. What has Joe Biden had in the last 10 days? 528,000 jobs added in July. The head of Al-Qaeda killed. The CHIPS Act has passed. The PACT Act has passed. The Inflation Reduction Act seems to be a lock. Unemployment is at a 50-year low. Gas is at a 50-day low. Kansas just saved abortion rights. And Joe Biden had all this happen while he was a 79-year-old guy with COVID. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So, you know, they say the largest growing religious group in America are Mormons. I always beg to disagree. I think the largest growing religious group in America are people who were raised religious, but now consider themselves spiritual because they're turned off by some of the hypocrisies of men in funny hats. But I'm always a fan of people who are spiritual seekers. You know, trust anyone who's seeking the truth. Don't claim anyone who claims to find it. And we celebrate spiritual thinkers who go beyond their original religious education from Jesus to George Harrison. And I was so excited uh, when I learned we were going to get Charles Marsh on the show. He's written several books, including Strange Glory, the award-winning biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the civil rights classic uh, God's Long Summer. He teaches in the Religious Studies Department at the University of Virginia. He's a scholar and advocate for racial justice and the director at the Project for Lived Theology at Charlottesville's UVA. But... During his first year at Harvard Divinity School, Professor Marsh experienced a a very strange onset of panic attacks and deep symptoms of anxiety that left him scared and disoriented. And he'd been taught by the evangelical upbringing he was raised in that any kind of therapy was a betrayal of his Christian faith. So he searched for cures through prayer through Bible study, which only made his symptoms more aggravating. Uh, he continued to search through, meditate, through meditation, through more prayer, and through hedonism to try to find a way to feeling normal, which, of course, as you guys know, doesn't really exist. But in his wonderful new book, Evangelical Anxiety, Professor Marsh recounts the psychological effects of a conservative evangelical upbringing and how deeply painful it can be. And he shares his lifelong struggle deeply, honestly, to reconcile mental illness with evangelical faith. It is my kind of book. It is a great pleasure to welcome Charles Marsh to the show. Hello, sir. Thank you so much, John. It is an honor to be with you. I've uh, so admired your work over the years and thrilled we have this conversation to talk. I'm honored as well. I'm sorry we had some audio kerfuffles, but it's great to have you with us. I admire your work deeply, and I I think what you do is such a light for so many people who were raised a certain kind of religious way. And, you know, I, I began the segment by saying they say that Mormons are the largest demographic of religious group growing in the country. I think the largest growing group are people who were raised religious, but now consider themselves spiritual. They're turned off to the hypocrisy, but they might still love the gospel teachings of Jesus. They might still love their parents and the culture of their upbringing while realizing that fundamentalism 
has given religion a, a, a dirty name. And there's a great piece on you in Rolling Stone magazine that I loved. And, and I want to open with this because you told Alex Morris in Rolling Stone, an evangelical childhood is a total mindfuck. <laughs> As a Catholic child of an ex-nun and an ex-Franciscan, we could just unpack that phrase for the next hour. But um, <laughs> on an academic level, sir, what do you mean by calling it a total mindfuck? Well, in, in, you know, it's most multitudinous sense, um, it is indeed a, a kind of almost psychedelic uh, reality. I, 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 I would like to um, affirm your, your, your Catholic upbringing with, uh, with an anecdote that the first time I heard that term used, um, it was used by a Jesuit. Uh, I taught at a Jesuit university for 10 years before I came to UVA, and... Um, uh, father, uh, father. Um, I guess I should just make up a name at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, um, Father Spalding, whatever, um, introduced his undergraduate course on medieval women mystics with that kind of teaser. These are going to add up to a total mindfuck. So, you know, it has uh, the promise to be a kind of thrill and, you know, a kind of transporting um, reality. But, but it also, to be sure, uh, conveys the um, abusive and, um, and, and, and damaging aspects as well. And I think, you know, you mentioned, John, my uh, panic attacks that coincided with my first year in divinity school and we, you know, we can talk about those and the meaning of those, um, if you wish. But looking, you know, back from, you know, over the years, what, what I find most heartbreaking is that when I, um, of an evening, uh, felt completely overwhelmed by um, acute anxiety symptoms, um, and survive the night only to, um, you know, awake the next morning with a, a, a sense that something uh, permanent had had changed, had 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 sort of been enacted um, in the the torment uh, uh, and terrors of the night. Yes. Um, what's What's most heartbreaking to me is simply that I had no knowledge at all of psychotherapeutic healing, psychiatric care, um, to the extent to which I knew anything about psychiatry, it was that evangelical Christians should stay, steer clear of the couch yeah. and of the clinical dialogue, because, alas, we had in our hearts the ultimate healer, the Holy That's Spirit. Right. We didn't need these methods. That's right. I mean, I was raised by a nun who was also a nurse. So the conflict between Western medicine and spirituality was always brought up to 11. I mean, for me, you know, they talk a lot about religious guilt. And, and I never had a problem with guilt. I always thought guilt yeah. is feeling bad about something bad you did. That's, that's okay. For me, it was always about shame. In the Catholic mm -hmm. Church, famously, as chi children, we are taught to recite the Apostles' Creed. And from the age of six, I was reciting every week, I confess to you, Almighty God, that I have sinned through my own faults, yeah. through my own words, and what I've done and what I have failed to do. I am not worthy to receive you. I am not worthy to receive you. It's systemic programming of shame. And that can go a long way in the Middle Ages towards controlling a population. But you write, I must discern my darkness and therefore remember... That sin is not only what I did, but who I was. I am the one who breathes corruption. I read that and thought, wow, you had the same John Calvin strain in your religious upbringing that so many of us had. I, um, I fell back, John, on the only sources of, of healing I, I could imagine. Those were... Um, yeah, the protocols of biblical devotion, of healing, that also required me to accept these torments and this mental illness as a gift, right? Yes. As some kind of a, of a blessing that I should now seek to live into. 
And in so doing, would, as you eloquently noted, uh, not only discern my darkness, but to discern that, that I am, you know, ontologically a darkness. Now, I'll ha- I always have to say that I've, I've, I've been, that I've always been a little sort of jealous of, of, of my Roman Catholic friends on this point, because <laughs> really? I, was under the, uh, I was under the impression that, you know, the shame and the guilt, and, and certainly the sin, could be dealt with in confession, right? You know, you, you have these real, you know, you know, metaphysically binding sacraments. So you go in, you confess your sins, the sins are gone. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there, there's no ritual uh, 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 similar to that. Um, in the evangelical meal, milieu, well, the, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews have a day. The Jews have a day when they can go and atone, get get your guilt done. You know, right? And we we just have you know sort of predatory youth youth pastors, and <laughs> um, and you know um, uh, ministers with no facility and psychology who um, are going to take anything you say about, you know, psychic life, and immediately fold it into some kind of spiritual lack in your life. So exactly. the reason you're, you're anxious, the reason you're depressed, the reason that you're having these great mood swings, it's just because you're not grounded in the Word. Exactly. Because there's something wrong with your prayer life. There's something more wrong sin, with your spiritual More sin, yeah. more failure, more shame. More sin, and so the way to respond to that is just to dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and uh, you know that is a a, a recipe for um, um, you know almost unspeakable torment, an uh, almost unbearable torment that that can bring you to wit's end, and you know to. Um, prospects of, you know, death being preferable than life. Yeah. You know, one of the things about the book, it's amazing reading you uh, write about religion, but your documentation of what it was like in depression is is such a, an amazing window into your experience. It's rare to see such an amorphous, gray, awful experience articulated so keenly. I'm curious, you know, panic attack is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in the pop culture by people who've never experienced it. What were these panic attacks like when you were at Harvard Divinity School trying to be pious, trying to be good, and trying to make it appear like everything was okay? The term panic attack is is perhaps not the most appropriate for my case, John. Um, What, what, what I encountered on this otherwise ordinary evening, you know, in the fall of my first semester, uh, after returning from a long day of study and um, sliding into my my bed, um, and and um, in Rockefeller Hall in Cambridge, uh, hoping to you know, surrender to a good night's sleep, was more like an anxi- acute anxiety episode. It it um, it was um, a, a, an emotional and a physical uh, un, unmaking um, that um, that created this kind of um, a, a, a intolerable hyper awareness of, yes. of 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 the external world, but also of of every involuntary and autonomous function in my in my own body. And, you know, I had, and, and this is, you know, anxiety, general, GAD, generalized, generalized anxiety disorder often um, emerges in late adolescence. So I was, you know, right on schedule there. And I had had um, glimpses, uh, you know, episode, minor episodes in, in small ways um, uh, at other times in my life that had been focused on. I, I have this history of allergies and asthma. And so, you know, when you're having your first asthma attack as a 10-year-old, um, the sensation of not being able to breathe is, is it's one of great terror. And it, it kind of patterns in many respects the, 
the shape of my anxieties to follow. Um, but the thing about this night was it was as if all of those um, other instances of, of, of child fears and, and, and some real significant terrors as adolescent had achieved this kind of totality and completion. And that's, and, and that, that was conveyed to me by the, by the kind of intensity of this episode, that is the the the, the fear that the, the that what had transpired was permanent, right? Um, and that that it was also entangled with my Christian evangelical kind of aspirations. Um, there was a punitive side. There was sort of like, well, what do you expect of a of a of a of a, of a young evangelical you know, at Harvard? of all places where you can, you know, you can walk down the hall and, you know, there, there are people sleeping, you know, uh, sleeping, you know, and, and committing fornication and having premarital sex. There's, there's easy access to drugs. There are these new um, provocative ideas that are just sort of coming at you um, nonstop, which, this is why I went. All of these things is why I wanted that world. But yeah. my spiritual and emotional and 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 somatic um, framework um, buckled under those um, stimulations and well, yeah, excitements, well, and could I, not bear to pass through those. Um, to, to the other side. Like, and, 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 and again, you, you have the tools to articulate this better than so many of our conservative evangelical and conservative Catholic brothers and sisters who went through similar kind of shame. This is the part where I point out that obviously lots of American Christians have these kind of beliefs and they don't wind up struggling with anxiety and, and mental illness. But the fact is that when you had it, the spiritual infrastructure around you was no help. And you write, every defense failed. My symptoms felt concentrated into permanence. I had lost the capacity for happiness. And you point out that, you know, you were part of a group of people, 48% of whom say they believe that conditions like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia can be treated with prayer alone. So, again, that, you know, that, not saying this happens and, to and all and Christians, a, a, but go ahead. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, a, and a, no, a majority of whom um, believe that... Um, Suicide is deserving of hell. Yeah. Yeah. And that these and that that mental illness is is itself, you know, um, um, primarily a, a spiritual um, a spiritual conflict. And what what are you left with, um, you know, in in response um, to real, you know, clinical. Um, biochemically, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, 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 determined uh, depression or anxiety, bipolar disorder, with those kinds of resources, but a recipe um, for um, the most tortured and uh, tragic and abusive um, attempts to find some kind of steady place. Right. And so well, I, I do think, I do think that there, that these outlets of, um, you know, of, of political activism and um, you know, these kinds of ideological obsessions with, you know, with purity and sameness, that they all cohere in some way with the shape of those inner uh, torments. Yes. And well, um, I, I think we need I think that I think this I, I mean, I hope this book occasions these kinds of conversations. And let me take it. Maybe, let me, maybe, let, yeah, please, let, John, go ahead. Let, let me take it. Let me take it a little deeper, if I may, than that, because another thing that Christians are taught is the sin of sex before marriage, even though. 
Uh, from my readings of the Bible, Jesus technically never does condemn premarital sex, but it gets right. back to that word you said, purity, and how these ideas of purity are there very often in place of the humanistic message of Jesus. And so eventually, in the course of your story, um, it becomes rather a, a, a moving meditation on what you call the grace of the strong sin, sort of you trying to see if sexual transgressions and experiences could bring you closer to God, could make some of that pain go away. And I think one of the most acclaimed things about the book and in, in, in the many reviews have been um, how you don't shy away from being very candid about sexuality and about how the purity culture you were raised in actually guided you inadvertently into a somewhat, shall we say, more robust sexual explanation uh, than you might have otherwise. You know, reaching puberty in, in, in a context um, in which um, the body and the spirit and the, not just the aspiration, but the mandates of purity are, are so overcharged um, has a has a peculiar consequence of leaving you fairly obsessed with your genitalia. You, yeah. you know the, the the genitalia, but I mean, and, and you know this. There's a I, I think a somewhat humorous passage when I ask the question. Um, you know, as a as a 13 year old boy, why is God so interested in my genitalia? Yeah. Um, the, the genitalia becomes the site, uh, not just of a boy struggle to um, remain pure sexually, according to the tenets of the church, but um, but the site of a metaphysical struggle. And so, yeah, you know, purity, you know, and, and growing up in the South, I mean, purity was. Um, an, an, uh, uh, was a an obsessive sort of uh, belief uh, of white evangelical Christians. You know, you can you can follow yeah. this kind of thread of purity to the purity of the of the social body, racial purity, um, yeah. the purity of the church, the purity the of the school, the purity of the of the of the white female body, um, the purity of our faith. You know, we believe somehow that our evangelical piety was one of the greatest. Um, um, and most pure forms of doctrine in the, in the history of the Church. Yeah. And that, that, that this is also, you know, this also creates this, this kind of hypervigilance, a kind of paranoia, and a, a sense that everything is so fraught with yes. apocalyptic terrors, right? Yeah. Every yeah. decision, every little thing you do could— There it is. And that, yeah. that's what leads to it all. That leads to the subjugation of women, leads to yeah. subjugation of LGBT brothers and sisters, and leads Absolutely. to the subjugation of the actual self. Because when you read the Bible, and here's something I'm fond of talking about, we ascribe a lot of the Old Testament and St. Paul's hang-ups with uh, the genitalia to Christ, who as a teacher didn't really matter of what men do with their bits. And and that's what I think is so moving about this, because at all t points in the book, Professor, you, you, you are a seeker, and you tie it all together, how all of this, this misguided notion of purity, and again, had nothing to do with Jesus. This book is pro-God, pro-Jesus, pro-faith. But I, I kept thinking about the modern Christian nationalist movement so much and the psychological effects of being raised in this culture that sells you a false idea of purity. Time and again, I kept thinking of January 6th while reading about the conflicting things that you were raised in. You know, it's such an interesting um, observation, John, um, because uh, I guess four, five or six weeks ago in New York, um, Alex Morris, who you mentioned, this brilliant writer with Rolling Stone, um, moderated a, a book talk that I gave at McNally Jackson Seaport. And her first question was, so why didn't you end up with the protesters on January 6th? And instead, you know, you found yourself to an analyst couch. 
And I mean, I, I just think that that's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, the fire has to go somewhere. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, I mean, there are lots of personal and familial explanations of why that did not happen to me. Um, and why, you know, my, why I pursued healing in, in, in ways that were going to enrich and deepen and create ever richer forms right. of you know emp- empathy and understanding. Part of that had to do with you know the writers I loved, um, the thinkers I loved. You know, I, I I I ended up just gravitating to people like Walker Percy or you know Flannery O'Connor, or Robert Coles, and yeah. um, Graham Greene and and Albert Camus, and you know sort of Jesus haunted humanist. Um, because yes, yes. <laughs> always seemed to me so rich and like kind of white, you know, and, and then my cast of heroes that, you know, expanded to include, you know, John Lewis and Fanny Lou Hamer and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others. And, and so, um, you know, this, this sense of becoming a self that is competent, but also at home in the world requires, you know, these requires a capacity, a provenance of openness, you know, yes. and of listening. Yes, but 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 if, but if I may, I think also you were just kind of a, if you'll pardon the expression, a, a good person who was a seeker of truth. I mean, I've I've come to use this phrase a lot. Uh, people who call themselves Christians but are actually evangelical supremacists. And I think that, it, it, you know, for me, when they began drawing a white, right? But when they began drawing a yeah. white, I mean, we did it in the Catholic Church. We, you know, we, yeah. we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We're the ones behind God's velvet rope. A lot of our Muslim fundamentalist friends have the same charming tendencies, too. And, and when they put a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus— in Bibles, as an illustration, in the 1800s, I sort of think that began a grotesque process of putting whiteness at the center of history, the center of humans' story, and at the center of morality itself, this, this, this sense of uh, spiritual entitlement, where I'm always on God's side, and so, and we see this with the Trump folks, Anyone who opposes yeah. me is clearly on the side of Satan, and I'm not yeah. going to negotiate with Satan wh- how many genders there are or what marriage is. Yeah, that that, that cosmic entitlement that also animates a That's kind it. of yeah. messian- a kind of a messianic world apocal kind of rampaging, you know, into the social order, um, um, finding difference only to seek to obliterate difference, um, you know, this kind of totalitarian um, crusade uh, to erase difference in all of its forms and to impose that kind of blonde-haired, you know, blue-eyed, white, non-Jewish Jesus, um, you know, onto the uh, world um, order. And, you know, I think that also yep. exposes what I find to be the, the cruel um, underbelly of, of white evangelicalism that Please. In, your, in your show doesn't go unexamined. But, but in, in, you know, the, the sort of public conversation, as it were, does. Uh, and this, this, this involves the, the doctrine of hell. And I... Um, and I, I, I can't, I, I, I cannot tell you how um, horrific a, a notion this is and its repercussions um, in the emotional and, and, and social order. You know, I've, yeah. I've wondered, for example, you know, why, why don't journalists ask Mike Pompeo, who has evoked a literal last judgment. So 
how does yes, this he has. bear on your foreign policy? I, I, I know what conservative white evangelicals think about hell. And I know this is my favorite topic in the world. While there's this kind of um, there's this kind of um, engagement with Israel for its own kind of eschatological needs, white evangelicals don't believe that Jews are going to heaven. Most conservative white evangelicals believe that anyone other than people who adhere to a, a strict understanding of the Bible as inspired, if not an infallible, if not an errant word of God, are going to hell. And this yep. this this could be this could be Anne Frank. It could be it could oh, be the, Gandhi. The, it could be the it could be the Martin Gandhi. It could be all the six million who who perished in the Holocaust. It doesn't, yeah, Golden Mayor, all the Native Americans. Yeah, they're all, all in the hell. All the Native Americans. And look, <laughs> conservative evangelicals in politics believe these things, and they matter. I know. And they and they're never asked the about it. About the world, and they're never asked. So you know, never. I'd love to hear someone ask you know Mike Pence if he's a presidential candidate. So. You know, you believe in the the evangelical faith. Tell us who you believe will be saved, you know, who is saved by Jesus Christ and who will perish in eternal, everlasting— That's it. There is no, there is no purgatory in the evangelical worldview. So this is once and for all. I'd love to hear a response to that because, man, that terrifies me. It should terrify Let me tell you, and we keep on trying to— we keep trying to book Mike Pence, but uh, it's a little tricky to get him to come on to shows that ask the hard questions about faith. And that's why I love this memoir, Professor. It's so fearless. It's so loving. And you still consider yourself a Christian and live as one while not shying away from these tough questions, which is what turns me on. The book, once again, is Evangelical Anxiety. Professor Charles Marsh, I've so been looking forward to this conversation. Please come back and see us again. I'd love to go deeper. I would love to, John. This was such a lovely, engaging conversation. Peace, brother. Great pleasure, sir. Thank you. Have a great evening. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's go back to the phones. Y'all have been so patient waiting on hold. Linda in Iowa, thank you so much. Oh, hello, John. I always get a big kick out of it when you when you call my name on the radio. But oh. I just want to tell you, I am old enough to remember Alan Funt. And you definitely <laughs> did a commendable, commendable impression of him. Thank you. It's a completely useless impression. But when I was a kid, I thought that was God. Like, I would watch Candid Camera with my parents, and I'd be like, oh, you have this old, little old man somewhere who's got all the power, and he's watching from far away and setting you up to look like an idiot. And I just thought life was all one big reality prank show, and God was Alan Funt. And that was really my <laughs> model, and it kind of explains a lot of the pain I'm in today. Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you what, you really enlightened <laughs> me, too. I didn't, didn't realize Ronald Reagan did do one thing commendable in his presidency when he, he signed. did a couple good things. Yeah, he did. And um, I just want to share with you, John, thank you for having Professor Charles Marsh on. And um, you know what? At one, one time when I was in my evangelical Christian mode, um, I was having lunch with someone who was Jewish, and she said to me, 
you don't really think I'm going to hell, do you? And I'm afraid, oh, John, I'm afraid I couldn't answer her because I'm afraid that's what I thought at the time. And I'm just grateful I don't think that way anymore. And um, I just I I just thought he did a great I just I want to go get his book and read it because I think so many people struggle with this. But, you know, this is the way I was raised. This is how I have to believe. And and it just it's just, you know, you know, Jesus does say, and I think I shared this with you once before, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Jesus That's the does first not commandment. want us to be idiots. He does not want us to be idiots. No, and, and he doesn't say abandon all critical thinking. But again, this is how faiths become clubs, or worse, cliques. Because I, I can speak directly to your experience. I, I, I was raised with a father who taught religion. And, um, you know, my dad taught Buddhism. He taught history of Judaism, taught Islam. And I grew up respecting religion. I knew people of all faiths, but I also grew up Catholic and which told me that I was in the one true church. So when I was a young man, I was involved with a girl for a number of years in my college years who was uh, Jewish and she was beautiful and kind and brilliant and a better person than me in every way. And we dated for a few years all through college. We went to different schools, but I would visit her. She'd visit me. And I always wasn't a very good boyfriend because no matter how great she was, no matter how, how much I enjoyed her and spent all my free time with her, I knew she wasn't the one. I knew she wasn't the one because she was in the wrong religion. Mm-hmm. And so when I speak about people who possess a spiritual narcissism, which they use to hurt others, I know what I'm talking about because I was guilty of it. And I, as a young person, destroyed a wonderful relationship with a talented, brilliant, beautiful young woman because she was Jewish. Now, I didn't have a problem with Judaism. I went to her brother's bar mitzvah. I, I, I loved, I grew up on Long Island. I love Jews. I love Jewish culture and, 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 and all of it. But I just knew I can't raise my child like this because I've got to raise my child in the one true religion. And... It led me to being a really shitty boyfriend and being a really bad young person. And when I went through my years of therapy and began to unpack how I'd acted, uh, I understood spiritual narcissism a lot better. I understand fundamentalists who think they can do any shitty thing in the world because they're behind God's velvet rope and you're not. And I haven't talked to this woman in many, many, many years, but she's one of the reasons why I'm not raising my child religious, raising him spiritual teaching about the Bible, teaching about God and Jesus and Moses and all that, teaching about all the religions. But um, the way I treated people because of my spiritual fervor as a young person is exactly why I'm not raising my child to be a religious person now. Boy, John, wouldn't it be ironic if she was actually listening to this tonight? Talk about how much healing she would hear. Yeah, she's not a fan of me. This woman is uh, not a fan of me, and nor should she be. Um, but she gave me a great gift. And, you know, I, I, I was the guy in my 20s going to therapy and like, oh, I want to call her and make amends. And I've had therapists tell me, no, you can't, can't call her. Leave her alone. She, you, you hurt her. She healed. Move on. But uh, she gave me a very valuable gift. And, and the great thing about it is, you know, shitty things we did to others, not shitty things that happened to us, but shitty things we did to other people can be great teachers, Because I I do believe that the only person you ever, ever are in competition with is the person you used to be. It's all about competing with your former self. And, you know, there's a lot of good things about religion, and there's a lot of toxic things about religion, and I have a lot of experience with both. Well, thank you, John. Can I tell you one more thing real quick? Yeah, now that my therapy moment's over, go ahead. (laughs) Well, okay, this this is going to kind of sound kind of bad, but um, this political ad came on. And first it was an African-American speaking, and I thought it was the DNC chairman, okay? And okay. then I realized he was talking about Marianne Miller-Veeks, who was our congresswoman, who oh. you might recall only won by six votes okay. in the last election. And then I realized, okay. it's Tim Scott. <laughs> it's Tim Scott who was speaking. It wasn't the DNC chairman. And you know what? Um, Christina Bohannon is going to send her packing. I am sure of it. I hope so. I mean, we'll see. And my God, Tim Scott, maybe it's a little less likely today 
that he's going to run for president. Linda, thank you so much. It's great to hear from you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Let me go to Rich in Denver. Hello, Rich. Thanks for your patience on hold. Uh, always, John. My pleasure to talk to you again. Um, I absolutely love your show. You, I, I love when you recap birthdays and historical facts huh. and all the gifts Thank you. you get, you do, you do such a wonderful job. And it's, Thank it's, you. It's awesome. Uh, John, I was going to talk about some other stuff, but I, I want to go to the question about Nebraska and the abortion. Please. And, and this, is, this is why, and I absolutely agree with you, I think uh, they should go to the wall. But Zuckerberg is as much of a coward as, as Trump. Yeah, he's not going to do it. You know, he, 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 right, he used to have dinner with him, and this is why, and I've said this to you before, John, why, why we could solve all the problems if we get all the money out of all federal political campaigns, all, all elections, and, and make them federally financed, and, I agree. We open up and we open up antitrust hearings and bust up corporations like Twatter and Fuckbook and all these BS social page pages that that everybody can get on and that claim their news and stuff. I mean, this, well, this is nineteen eighty. This is nineteen eighty four stuff. You know. The, y- I mean, yes. You, you. Go ahead. Well, a lot, a lot to unpack. I agree with the, a lot of what you're saying. I don't know necessarily breaking them up. Uh, I would settle for just having them be taxed appropriately, to be taxed the same, I don't know, a waitress is taxed in this country, to have them feel the same kind of pinch. And I would settle to have some kind of mechanism where they are sanctioned for making profit off of pushing lies. You know, I don't need to break them up. I just need them to be in the public good and not just be there to be vampire apps uh, to, you know, defile our democracy and amuse people while it makes them less safe. Right. Well, well, to have and to have, to, well, maybe not to break up, but to be better regulated where they have ombudsmen and fact checkers. And, I'm with and, you. And, and things yeah. like that, you know, all over it. And, Absolutely. And, I mean, and. and, and you know, it's it's the same thing. There's no separation of the the church can basically go and advocate abortion and still get tax funds from the federal government. So yeah. we're, you know, we're, there, there's no more separation anymore, John. The whole thing is the whole thing is is an oligarchy, and 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 they're making profits and ramping off money off the people, and 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 they're just getting the Catholic Church is donating to the Republican Nazis. You know, I know, I know people. You know, I mean, and you know, it's just. And again, you know, I'll point out the Bible's news. not against abortion, and I've never seen the Catholic right. Church go broke giving money to politicians who want to ban the death penalty, which Jesus actually took the time to oppose. What? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what, what, the, uh, life begins when God breathes life into the into the into the. Uh, That's what the Bible says. The child. Yeah. That's what the Bible uh, says. You know, to me- yeah, absolutely. You know, but the you know these people. You know, we're talking earlier in the first hour with Seska. You know, you'll never get these people, John. You know, like I know. You hit them you'll with the fact, and there's there's ten more after. So you know, it's yes. like LBJ said in '65. You know, if you can convince, you know, if the if you can convince the I call them worms, the white old racist men, the evangelical terrorists, you know, eugenists that that 
play that BS and, and swear by that stuff and by Christianity. You know, as a buddy of mine said, you know, the, the people who need the most saving are the ones that are that are carrying the carrying the Bible and wrapped in the flag, and they're the fascists, you know? That's they, true. You'll never get these people. We just have to outvote them. We got to get money out of politics, and we got to make it federally financed, and you'll get rid of all these people. You know, you'll, you, you will never have a con run again and, and win, and, you know, and, and the corporate Democrats, too, you know? You I take agree. the money out, and, and there's no, you know, and, and, and let me say, point, you know, so well, ahead. I'm under no I'm under no illusions that you can actually convince any of these people. What my deal is right. is uh, convincing the bystanders, convincing their kids, convincing their wives. Go ahead and debate them in the open. Don't hate them. Just debate them. Come with the facts of what's really in the Bible, what's really in the news, what's really in the Constitution, and go ahead and let them have the arguments. You know, right wing Christians have never had their fundamentalist views challenged because the media is so terrified of being called anti-Christian. I'm like, show me where the damn Bible says to put a woman in jail for terminating a pregnancy. Show me where the Bible says you're supposed to be shitty to transgender soldiers. Show me where the Bible says uh, that God gives a shit where the American embassy is in, 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 in Israel. You know, it's like, I, 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 again, we have to engage them. We have to debate them. But I'm under no illusion. You will ever sway them. We're going for their kids. We're going for the bystanders. And we're trying to just take away their spiritual camouflage. I, I was telling Thea on, at the, uh, um, when I called in, you know, and I've had this discussion with several other of the serious stars, galaxy uh, stars. Is, you know, I honestly believe, John, that these people, as long as they, they beat the gays, as long as they, they, they are the bosses of women's bodies, as long as they're bosses of the gays and the transgenders and the white progressives and the libs, they don't care. They could lose a child, lose a job, yeah. get a terminal disease, uh, get somebody yeah. shot to death. You know, this is where I disagree with what you said. A Republican could, could lose somebody by a gun death, and I think they they would still not never come around. And this is how they're 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 as you know, you and I have said this before. They're cult. That the, that that they they could lose everything, John. And as long as they're beating the well-to-do uh, Democrats and the progressive Democrats. You know, they're they're happy with that. They're they're. Yeah. I, I said the I can't imagine. That's what unites them. Owning the libs, and, owning the libs is uh, what unites know, them all. But what? To, but to, so you can't talk facts with those people. You can't. You know, I know. Like you said, we have to keep engaging them, but they can't be engaged because, as you said, you tell them oh. one fact. And they've told they've told 10, 12 different. Right. But, but again, but again, it's how you present. You can talk facts with them. Just don't do it in a vacuum. Do it where people are around and can witness it because they can't talk facts back to you. Don't hate them. Just lay out the facts. I do it all the time. I just very patiently go through what the Bible actually says with them. And that's how you find out pretty quickly. None of them have ever read the Bible. But it's all about taking away their arguments, not calling them names because that'll prove them right. Just just ask the simple right. questions. I mean, with Trump being a criminal, it should be so easy. There's such a long trail of evidence of his criminality in his life. I gotta go, Rich, but I really appreciate the call, and I thank you. This is Progress.